0: Let's start with prayer, shall we? Oh, Father, as we continue looking at prayer tonight, Lord, we ask you to really bless us in a special way. Lord, you know that all of us, one way or the other, have a problem with prayer. Lord, it's not something that comes naturally. Lord, nowhere is it truer than that the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to speak to us from your word. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just give us a a motivation, Lord, a real desire. Lord, to to build up a prayer life. Because Father, we know that it's something that we need very much. So Father, anoint your word now. And Lord, let it take root in our hearts and cause us, Lord, to act on it. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, okay. Um if you um go to Colossians and uh the, the verse we're gonna like use as our diving board into this tonight is uh, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1. Remember last time we looked at um, the reasons why you have to be importunate in prayer. I just keep going, you know, sort of not giving up, all right? And uh, tonight we're going to look more at prayer in a more general way, you know, with a view to, you know, right, well, I mean, you know, sort of what, what are our prayers to be, you know, if we're going to start building a prayer life? What, what does that mean? What are the aspects of prayer that we need to be into? And um, in Colossians 4, I said verse 1, didn't I? It's in fact verse 2. Um, and Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And and the key word there is, devote yourselves to prayer. And of course, that that really, read like that, that is in the imperative mood, it is a commandment. this, This is something that Paul the Apostle, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is writing to Christians and he's saying, devote yourselves to prayer. In exactly the same way that elsewhere he wrote, flee fornication. Elsewhere he wrote, "Stop lying to one another." These are imperatives, and here he says, "Devote yourself to prayer." And this word here translated "devote." In the Greek, the word is proscarteru, which is a bit of a mouthful, and its literal meaning is to be strong towards, to be strong towards something. Uh, if you were kind of a boxer and you were about to take part in a bout, you would have to be proskateriu in regards to that bout. You've got to go in there strong, being strong towards it. And what it means, when translated, is to endure. It means to endure, to persevere in something. And so there's the kind of the link with the talk we did last time. That here, when Paul talks about devoting, ourselves to prayer he's saying that that devotion that commitment to prayer has got to be an enduring thing it's got to be a persevering thing i mean we all know don't we it's so it's so easy to come up with a nine-day wonder isn't it you know a quick burst of commitment in regards to something in following the lord and you know rather like dieting isn't it you know it goes all right for a couple of weeks and but 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 here he says look you know devote yourselves to prayer, in exactly the same way Weight Watchers have to devote themselves to dieting. It doesn't happen, you know, you can't do it short-term, it's long-term, it's permanent, or it's nothing, ultimately, at the end of the day. And, you know, that is what Paul is saying here, in regards to prayer, in a persevering, in an ongoing way, one's just got to commit to doing it. And however small the beginnings, Nevertheless, those small beginnings must continue. They must go on and on and on and on and on until it's actually a a part, more or less, of our day-to-day lives. And so what we're going to do today is, if you go to uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're actually going to go through the, um, the section in Matthew that deals with what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Um... It's fair enough calling it the Lord's Prayer if by that you mean the prayer that the Lord taught the disciples. But uh, it's much better actually to think of it as the disciples' prayer because uh, there's bits in it that Jesus never had to pray. You know what I mean? Forgive us our sins. Jesus never had to pray that. No, it's not the Lord's Prayer. This is our prayer. And if we want to know, right, what's the prayer life then? This is it. So let's... um. I think we'll read through it, we'll, we'll go from verse 5, we'll read through it in one chunk, and then we'll go through it verse by verse. So, Matthew chapter 6 and start at verse 5. And when you pray, just, just notice that, when, not if, when. It's an assumption here, isn't it? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today... Sorry, wrong voice. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or an alternate translation is deliver us from evil. All right, which which in fact will will do. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Right, well, let's, let's, let's take that, starting at verse 5. Let's just take it one verse at a time. And when you pray, as I notice it's when, not if. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men i tell you the truth they have received their reward in full the first thing to understand that prayer isn't a show for others that's that that's what jesus is saying here that it's very easy uh you know because we're sinners because of our pride it's very easy to to sort of think right i'm you know i'm going to start becoming a praying person and you're doing it for the benefit of other people. That that your focus is other people. And praying can become a means of, of trying to appear to be spiritual. And and, and Jesus warns the disciples against that. And he says, Don't be like them. And the only reason that Jesus bothered to say to the disciples, and to all these people here, the only reason he bothered to say, don't be like them, is because there was every possibility that they could end up like them. And it's exactly the same with us. It doesn't matter how long we might have, you know, been following the Lord. I mean, our hearts are are self-righteous, our hearts are are proud. And it's so easy with prayer to end up doing a kind of a, a spiritual thing so that other people see rather than directing prayer, which is primarily speaking to the Lord. And, uh, you know, sort of like you end up, in effect, praying to other people, because you're doing it for their benefit, so that people look on and think, oh, you know, what a, what a spiritual person. And hypocrite in the Greek, the actual Greek word translated hypocrite, um, in our Bibles is Hippocrates, and it's the word for an actor. Um, and in the ancient world, when they did plays, they, they had masks. you know, So, so that an actor would, would have a mask and they'd hold this mask in front of their face. And, and that represented the character that they were playing. And what Jesus is saying here is that sort of like the Pharisees, they've got their religious mask on, they've got their, their prayer life mask on. But it is a mask. It's not real. Behind it lies pure hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And so, that's that's the important thing to realize, that prayer is is us and the Lord. It, it's not others. I mean, obviously, others are going to, you know, be involved in the sense that we pray out loud together, and that's fine, and that's great, but we've got to make sure that it's not ultimately a show, that it's not to be seen by men. And um, and what Jesus said is that if if that's what you end up doing, he says, that's what the Pharisees are doing, He says, they're doing it so that other people think well of them. They're doing it uh, to be seen by other people. And he says, well, they've received their reward in full. They've done it in order that people look on and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? They're praying. And people have looked on and said, oh, isn't that wonderful? They're praying. Jesus says, that's it. That's all they're going to get out of it. That is their reward. If you pray out of self-righteousness, so other people think you're spiritual, other people think you're spiritual, you'll get exactly what you want but no more. And you'll get no answers to prayer, and that kind of prayer won't bring you into a relationship with the Lord. So if we pray for the wrong reasons, you know, so that people look on and think, oh, aren't we spiritual? Then people will look on and say, oh, aren't you spiritual? And that'll be it. But that isn't really why we ought to be praying. Verse 6, Jesus said, but when you pray, and this is in contrast, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And here, what Jesus is saying, the basis of prayer, yeah, there's public prayer, of course there is, nothing wrong with that per se, but the real crux of the matter with prayer is private prayer. At the end of the day, it's it's getting alone with the Lord. Um, I mean, the basis of a relationship that you have with anyone is spending time with them. You don't spend time alone with someone how are you going to build a relationship with them and, uh, and and the key word here is relationship because that at the end of the day is what prayer is about it's talking to the Lord it's building a relationship with the Lord himself and so unless we get away on our own with the Lord how's it going to happen well of course it isn't it isn't going to happen at the end of the day the foundation of prayer has got to be that we get alone on our own with the Lord, with that door shut behind you. Now, it doesn't mean you've literally got to be in a room with the door shut. You can go out into the middle of a field, sure, of course you can. The essence here is privacy, not where or how you get that privacy, but the essence here is privacy. We need to get on our own with the Lord. And, um, And then it says that your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now that's that's the thing, it'll it'll pay off, you know, because if we commit ourselves to really getting to know the Lord in prayer, then we'll know answers to prayer, you know, and the Lord will reward us. I mean, that's that's amazing, not just up there when we die, not just at the judgment seat of Christ, but down here. And we'll see answers to prayer, but more importantly, we'll get to know Him. And the more you get to know Him, I mean, that brings stability, that brings peace, that brings life lived on a pretty even keel. You know, a life lived in victory over circumstances, and that's that's some reward. That is, you know, nothing more miserable than all the time living under circumstances. And uh, so, obviously, to, to, to build that relationship with the Lord through private prayer, it's going to strengthen us so much. It's going to mature us, going to make us strong in Him. And then Jesus goes on to emphasize that when it comes to prayer there's no verbal formula. Cuz ultimately if one thinks right okay I, want, I you know I want to start building a prayer life. So so how do I do it? You know sort of like what words do I use in prayer? What do I actually say? Now what Jesus is saying here to home in on words is to miss the whole point. It's the wrong place to start. There's no verbal formula. I mean, if if you end up having certain set prayers that you pray, if that is helpful to you, fine, go ahead and do that. It's not a bar on any kind of repetition, because there are certain things that if, if you pray for regularly, well, you know, I mean, you simply run out of different ways of praying the same thing. So it's not saying that repetition is out full stop. But what we've got to understand is, it's not the words that actually particularly count. Because what the Lord responds to is our hearts. It's it's not words, it's not verbal formulae that the Lord actually responds to. It's our hearts. And Psalm 51 and verse 17, in there, David says, "...a broken and contrite heart... You will accept, O Lord. And I mean, ten minutes of silence before the Lord from a broken and contrite heart says far more to the Lord than five hundred words from a heart that isn't contrite and broken, where it's just religious verbal formula. The Lord reads our hearts, and that's that that's good because it's so it's good to know you get tied up in words and you know, sort of like, you can end up focusing on oh, you know, what's the best way to pray this prayer? And yet the point is that, that, that even once we... if we verbalize something, we're only verbalizing something that has already formed in us anyway. The Lord reads our hearts, he reads our minds. And that's good to know, what he really responds to is our hearts, not our words. And, and all the words in the world, without that broken and contrite heart before the Lord, are meaningless. You know, absolutely meaningless. And then in, in verse 8, um, you know, he, he, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Because prayer isn't telling God something he doesn't already know. It's not pr- Prayer is not an exchange of information. Now, prayer will involve the Lord informing us. Yes, we will learn things in prayer where we hear God's voice, I put that in inverted commas, in whatever way it is, we will be receiving information from the Lord. But we mustn't think that it's an exchange of information. The Lord does not end up being informed by us about anything because he knows everything already. And whatever it is, whatever burden, whatever prayer burden we've got, the Lord knows exactly what that prayer burden is. It's one that he gave us anyway. and. He, he already knows about it. Prayer isn't informing God. Um, even more so, prayer isn't suggesting to the Lord what he might do about certain situations either. It's not an advice service. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can often hear Christians praying, and in effect, I mean, you know, sort of like read between the lines of the prayer, and in effect the prayer is, well, Lord, I really do advise you to do this. Oh, Lord, I'm praying about this situation, and this is what you ought to do, Lord. You know, it's not, it's not informing the Lord, and neither is it advising the Lord, obviously. Prayer is, is simply, it's coming to the Lord to relate to Him, to learn to relate to Him, in love and dependency. So, yeah, we come to the Lord, but because we come in dependency, in effect, the onus is always on him. And that's helpful to know. Because even even if while we're praying, I mean, say so we say, right, I'm really going to come to terms with, I'm, I'm going to pray every day or whatever. And if, if you do that, you're going to spend an awful lot of time feeling lost, baffled. Oh, what do I do? You know, ending up focusing on your words and stuff like that until you really get into the flow of it, alright? But the point is that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit Himself is praying through us. So even if you feel outwardly that that prayer time it's going all wrong, it's not actually going wrong, because the Holy Spirit is praying through us all the time and the Lord is reading our hearts, He's not reading our words. And It's important to realise that, because we're coming to the Lord being dependent on Him, then we don't have to worry about expertise. It doesn't matter when you get lost and confused and, oh, you know, sort of like, oh, have I prayed about that? You know, I mean, believe me, there are a hundred things to confuse you in a prayer time, All right, Or, you know, sort of, your mind wanders. I mean, you know, sort of like a lot of time spent in prayer, is, is fighting away from the distractions. You know, sort of like a good percentage of a time of prayer is actually battling distractions in your mind. But that battling distractions is part of the prayer. And God is reading your heart. And at the end of the day, he's going to answer your heart. That's the thing, because we're coming to him in dependency. We're his children, and children need their dad. And therefore, we need to spend time with him in verse 9, Jesus then goes on, he says, This, then, is how you should pray. So here we're, we're getting some real practical instructions. He's saying to the disciples, right, you need a prayer life, okay? So you're probably thinking, okay, well, what does a prayer life constitute then? You know, if we're going to, you know, sort of like start spending time every day in prayer, what is that prayer time going to consist of? What is the necessary content? of that, and here Jesus starts to outline it, so we're going to see all the aspects of prayer that, when added up together, equal a good healthy balanced prayer life, alright? And it starts off with, Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Now there are several things there, but the first thing to say is hallowed be your name. Prayer begins with the acknowledgement that he is God. Um, Hallowed, when you've got hallowed be your name, the Greek word there is hagiadsu, And it means to make holy. To hallowed ground is holy ground, or if you hallow a place, you make it holy. And here we're saying holy uh, be your name. It's, it's basically the same word in the Greek as sanctification, when we talk about our sanctification, or the process whereby God makes us holy. And it means, the literal meaning of the word is, is to set apart. To set apart. It's the opposite of the Greek word koinos, which means common. So, holy is set apart, and it's the exact opposite of common, alright? So, set apart really sort of special, I mean, set apart from the common round, apart from the herd. And that's the essence here, that recognition that we're actually coming to God. We're coming to one who is utterly set apart. I mean, God is totally the set-apart one, for reason that there is none other like him. There is absolutely nothing common about God. In any way at all, because he alone is God. He is, he is a... Bang, <laughs> shut, shut the door. Um, he's he's a, a, a completely... Um, I forgot what I was going to say there. Um, he's completely set apart, and and no one else is like him in any way at all. So he's an unrepeated person. You see the point? He's, he's not in any way... I mean, it's like you can sort of look at us, all right? And, and sort of we can see, well, I, mean, I can see that, you know, what's true of you there is true of a hundred other people, a million other people. There's nothing unique about us. I mean, yeah, we're uniquely individuals, but but with God, he is totally unrepeatable. Um, you know, he is God, and that is where prayer begins. Um, our Father in heaven. I mean, it's the recognition that, that his home... And the basis of his existence is outside of creation altogether. I mean, God is not part of this creation. He is totally and utterly outside of it. I mean, yeah, he's entered into it. Yeah, God has entered into creation. But he's outside of it as well and completely independent of it. His home is in heaven outside of creation altogether. So, what we're beginning with here is simply realising that we're coming to God. We're coming to the one and only true God. And that is why, in one of the Psalms, you get this phrase, be still, I think it's in one of the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. And that is where prayer begins. And it's like, if someone is going from what you might call hardly, you know, a, a prayer life that's hardly worthy of the name, I really starting from scratch, or a prayer life that has been so haphazard over the years. Um, you know, if, if at the beginning, when you say, right, I am going to build a prayer life, I'm really going to take this on because it's what the Bible says and I desperately need it. If, initially, it just ends up uh, five or ten minutes in complete silence, just realising that it's God that you're coming to. That's a good beginning. The first brick has gone on. Now, obviously, you'll build on that, but if if you end up there for a a, a few days or a few weeks, that's fine. But that is where it's got to begin, realising whether you're kneeling, sitting, standing, whatever is best for you when you pray, to realise that you're coming to speak to Almighty God. That's where it begins, hallowed be your name. But also, our Father. Yeah, he is almighty God. And that means that we come in worship, in reverence, in total and utter respect. And yet, in the same sentence here, we've got the fact that it's our Father. And uh, in Galatians 4, Paul talks about the fact that, that that it's not just that we call him Father, but Abba. We have the spirit of sonship, and, and we kind of relate to him as Abba Father. And Abba in the Greek was kind of like that was a, a, you know, a, a child's word. It was daddy, it was Dada. It was kind of the, the absolute intimate way in which a little child would relate to his dad. Actually, could, could we just shut that door and, and then it won't slam again? Lovely. Th- thanks, Andy. So, it's coming to the Lord in worship and reverence and respect. And yet, it's coming to him knowing that he's our dad. He's Dada. So, it's intimate and it's totally free as well. Prayer, in prayer, you can totally and utterly be yourself. So, it's coming to Almighty God, but it's coming to Dad as well. That's where it begins, coming to our Father. And just notice here it's our Father, it's not my Father. When Jesus prayed, he had the right to pray my Father, all right? Because Jesus is himself divine, Jesus is himself part of the Godhead. But for us, it's our Father. And that reminds us that although in prayer we're relating to the Lord individually, nevertheless being a christian isn't an individualistic thing we're part of a family and it's always good to remember that we're part of a larger corporate family now in verse 10 we've got your kingdom come your will be done on earth as this is in heaven and what we've got here is submission to his authority we've we've got the praying his will into being you know your kingdom come. Now, I mean, God's kingdom in heaven is is not in question. I mean, God, God's will is always done in heaven, all right, all the angels who are there bow down to him and do what he says. And in prayer it's saying, Lord, make that true of human life as well. Um, and what we're praying there is we're saying, Lord, let your will be done Firstly, in our own hearts and lives. That's why this is submitting to his authority, this is surrender to his will. It's saying, Lord, you know, ultimately not my will, but your will be done. It's saying, Lord, establish your authority in my heart and my life. And then secondly, it's praying that for the hearts and lives of those who we're going to, you know, sort of like bring to the Lord, who we bring into the family so that as people become Christians, I mean, one day, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom literally across the whole earth, and he'll reign for a thousand years. Then, it'll be a question that the kingdom of God is there, low here or low there. But in the meantime, until then, do you remember Jesus said that the kingdom of God is not low here or low there, the kingdom of God is among you. In the church age, the kingdom of God spreads Not externally, it's not imposed on people, like in the thousand-year reign of Christ. But the Kingdom of God grows now by people becoming Christians, and therefore the Kingdom comes in their hearts. And so in prayer, you know, we're praying that that, that God's will be done in the lives of those around us. And of course, eventually, in the thousand-year reign of Christ and the eternal state, then, of course, you know, God's will will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, and in the eternal state itself, heaven actually lands on the new earth. So, there you've got the ultimate answer and consummation of that prayer. But in the meantime, what we're doing is that by prayer, we are literally channeling God's power down into the world, into our lives, and into the lives of other people. And even, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, most people are never going to be saved. Jesus said that few there be that find the narrow way, obviously. But nevertheless, Paul writes to Timothy and tells him to pray for all men, so that our praying is actually making the world a less evil place than it would be if we weren't praying. So, you know, sort of there in prayer that what we're doing is that we're, we're, we're praying God's will into being in our lives and in the lives of other people, submitting to His authority, surrendering to His will. And of course, as you build a prayer life, you'll discover more and more of His will for your life. Some of it will initially be, oh, that's great, and some of it will be, oh, ooh, Lord, I surrender to it. No, but that's the way it goes. And the, what we've got here is a basic way of defining prayer, exactly what prayer is. It's one of the means, not the only means, but it's one of the means by which God's will is done and God's work is established. That is what prayer is. And if we don't pray, if we're not praying people, then there are lots of things that God wants to do in my life that he won't do if I'm not praying. And there are things that God wants to do in other people's lives that he wants me to be praying for, and if I'm not praying, I'm hindering what it is He wants to do. And yet, if we are praying, people we're kind of like you know, sort of like open channels for God's power to flow. Right now, uh, verse 11: Give us today our daily bread. We we have two basic and ongoing needs as human beings, and verse 11 deals with the first one, and uh, that the first ongoing need that we have is material provision. God has made us physical beings, therefore we need physical um, provision on a daily basis. And bread in the Bible, you know, give us this day our daily bread, bread in the Bible represents the things that we need. Bread represents the necessities of life as opposed to the luxuries of life. Now, can you see the difference? We need food, we need water, we need a roof over our head, we need clothing, etc, etc. But it represents that, not the luxuries. Now then, it doesn't mean that God won't bless us with the luxuries as well, but it's a question of seeing that that is purely icing on the cake. We have no God-given right to pray for luxuries and automatically expect God to answer them. But we do have a God-given right to pray for our needs and expect God to meet them. Now, that's an amazing thing. I repeat, you can't automatically expect God to meet your luxuries, although in His grace He very often does. But we do have a God-given right here to receive the things that we need. And, uh, you know, and so that is something that we need to be praying about every day. Praying, Lord, give me today the things that I need. And obviously if you're you know married you're gonna be praying that for your wife and for your children or whatever. And that what we've got here basically is an acknowledgement, really, that even your wages, all right, are God's provision. It's, it's all too easy to think, well, okay, but I go out, and I do a job, and I earn a certain amount of money, and I budget the money, and, uh, you know, obviously my, my kind of... I mean, my daily bread is guaranteed tomorrow, whether I pray or not, isn't it? Well, yes, because God is merciful, actually it is. But it doesn't mean that you oughtn't be praying about it. And, of course, what it means is it's acknowledging that even our wages aren't ours. It's so easy to think, well, I work, I get wages, I provide for my needs. And even as a Christian, you can sort of think, oh, well, yes, I mean, I know that God, blah, 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 but basically, what's he got to do with it? It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? This is just automatic. Well, remember, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now then, those wages are the way that God provides your daily bread. But what you mustn't ever do is to Cut, you know, to cut God out, to, to take it for granted, you know, to say kind of like, I earned it and it's mine. We must pray for it. Yeah, you know that you're going to get your wages on Friday or at the end of the month or whatever. And therefore, you know that for the week after that, you'll be able to buy your daily bread. But nevertheless, I put it to you that it's only right and proper that you pray for it. I'll give you a good reason, all right? It's only by God's grace that you're going to be at work next week, see? It's only by God's grace that he's not going to turn your button off. It's quite a phrase now, is isn't it? You know, God's finger hovers over an on button and an off button in heaven. And if he presses your off button, it's all over anyway. Um, Our health, we take it for granted, don't we? It's God who's providing it every day. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, we must pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. uh, But there's another side to that. Your wages, though they may well be set, or or for most people they are, all right, they're kind of set, um, yeah, they're God's provision. But what that means as well is that your finances are not in any way limited to your wages. Um, Should ever you find yourself presented with a need that you have, that is over and above what your wages can honestly uh, secure and pay, well, the Lord will take care of it. Can you see? That's the other side of that coin. That financially, you're not limited to your wages. Now, I'm not saying suddenly start having a lifestyle whereby you're spending more than you earn, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you ever get into an, an honest scrape or whatever, where there's a need that is more than your wages are, well, don't worry about it. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, the Lord will provide for your needs, usually, normatively, through your wages, but if ever the wages aren't enough, then He'll provide through somewhere else. So give us this day our daily bread. That's vitally important. And uh, you'll find that life will go a bit smoother. Uh, I suppose in some ways I've got an advantage here, so as Belinda, we live by faith. I suppose one could argue, I, I wouldn't want to find out what would happen if I stopped praying this every day. <laughs> all right. You know, might aid my diet. Who knows? I, I don't intend to find out. But nevertheless, it's, it's important that every day we're praying that God will provide our needs. We mustn't take it for granted in any way at all. So then, you start building a prayer life and you think, well, I mean, okay, so what do I pray? Well, there's, there's something else to pray. You know we've you know we've seen just that kind of oh you know Lord, there's praise and worship. You know, be still and know that I'm God, our Father, hallowed. Be Thy name. We've seen praying God's will to be done. Lord, I, I you know I I pray that that Your will be done. Um and you know sort of now we're saying and Lord you know provide what I need. Lord, I need petrol in the car. I need food every day, you know, Lord, just provide everything I need. You see, these are the building blocks. These are the sorts of things we need to be praying. Now then, the second basic and ongoing need, all right, we're material, so we have material needs. Give us this day our daily bread. But uh, our second basic and ongoing need, um, as much as, as food every day, because you get hungry every day, secondly is, verse 12, forgive us our debts. We need every day Forgiveness of our sins. Now then, we've got to do a bit of a Greek here, all right? Let's, let's just do this very quickly. In the Gospel of Luke, you get his account of Jesus teaching this prayer, which Jesus obviously did on different occasions. And in the Luke account, the word that he uses here, forgive us our boom, boom, boom he uses the straight Greek word for sins, hamartia. All right. So in Luke's account, you get forgive us, our, and then the Greek word is harmatia. And that is the basic straight Greek word for sin. And it means a falling short or a missing of the mark. Um, It's an archery term, you know, sort of like there you've got the target, there you've got the bullseye, you fire the arrow, you miss the target, you miss the bullseye, you have missed the mark. It's a kind of not coming up to scratch. That is basically the meaning of the Greek word translated sin. The Greek word there is harmatia. But here, and the NIV has got this right, okay, the word is not harmatia, the word here is ophelima, and it means a debt, quite rightly. The NIV has got this correct. And the reason that we've got ophelima here, or debts, is that it's showing us a, a particular aspect of sin, Hamatia tells us that it's a falling short. But here, what we've got is the idea of debts. And it's highlighting that precisely because God is hallowed, because God is holy, because God is righteousness and because of his justice, therefore, because of that, um, in regards to our sin, an expiation, all right, a payment is needed through suffering a payment of the debt of sin so that we saw in the salvation series that Jesus was our expiation i.e. a payment had to be made and that payment was suffering because the wages of sin was death a payment had to be made so that the penalty of sin was paid now then Jesus he was our expiation he suffered in our place all right And so the point is that whereas we deserve the lake of fire, that's what we actually deserve, what we have instead is salvation. Now, the point is that Jesus paid that debt for us. And therefore, we owe him something in return. We are very much indebted to Jesus. And that is why here we pray, Lord, forgive us our debts. Because every time we sin, we fly in the face of his love and his grace and his mercy that took him to the cross to die in our place. We fly in the face of it and we literally owe him an apology every time we sin. We owe him the debt of an apology every time we sin. We often think, After everything Jesus has done for me, what can I do to repay him? Well, at the end of the day, we can never repay him for what he's done. But we can certainly make genuine gestures here and there. And one of them is the idea that when we sin, then we owe him an apology. And confession of sin is part of how we pay that debt. So, this is the important thing to realise here. That every day, because When we sin, because we fly in the face of everything he's done for us, we owe him an apology. And so, each day, we've got to come to him and pay the debt that we owe him. And we've got to confess our sins to him, asking forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. And, of course, realising that this is part of our ongoing prayer life, you can see now that there'll never, ever, be a reason to be stuck for words. (laughs) Because if you can't think of anything else, confess your sins. Yeah? So, you'll never be stuck for words in a prayer time. Every day, in an ongoing way. And uh, then, obviously, you get the beginning of verse... uh, Sorry, the, the second part of that verse, as we also have forgiven our debtors and uh, obviously you've got like forgiving the debts that people owe us in the light of what we've been forgiven all right but we'll be coming back to that shortly uh then verse 13 and um lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil now here temptation deliver us um uh lead us not into temptation this is, in a sense, a way of asking that we be guarded from future sin this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation it's saying, Lord, keep me from sin it's realizing what our sinfulness is and it's saying, Lord, deal with me deal with me, control me, keep me from the danger of my sinfulness now, we should be fearful of our sinfulness. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but one of the uh, old revivalists, and, and, and he said, I fear nothing but my sin. And there's truth in that. We should be fearful of our sinfulness, and what it can do both to us and to others. Now, we've, you know, we've all tasted of that, haven't we? We all know what our sinfulness does to us. And we all know what our sinfulness does to other people. And therefore, it's right and proper, you know, that, that daily we confess our sins, we say, oh, sorry, blah, 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 for whatever, but then we move on and say, Lord, but deliver me from it, in the future, keep me from that, deal with me, so that the power of sin over me decreases. That's what that means, you know, Lord, you know, sort of, uh, lead us not into temptation. And uh, so that's saying, you know, Lord, deal with my sin. Um, And then deliver us from evil. Now, this is, um, the word for evil here is not the usual Greek word for evil. The the usual Greek word for evil is kakos. And it, it means the character of evil, evil itself. The word here isn't kakos, it's poneros. And what it means is the effects produced. By it the effects produced by sin. So what we've got here okay is that lead us not into temptation that is pri- that is the prayer that God deal with the evil within us. here uh, deliver us from evil paneros is is praying that God will deliver us from the evil around us as opposed to the evil within us. You see the point? So the first part of the verse is, Lord, deal with the evil in me. The second part of the verse is, Lord, deliver me from the evil that surrounds me in other people. And obviously the translation here, the evil one, from the devil and the evil spirits as well. And that what we've got here is that that it's the prayer that God will deal with the effects that this sinful world has on us. Um, The effects that satanic attack has on us. On the one hand, we've got to deal with our own internal problem of our own sin. Alright? So that's, lead me not into temptation. But also, I live in a world, I'm not the only sinner. Everyone else is a sinner. And the world is kind of run by the devil, and there are evil spirits all over the place, assaulting me in every way that they can. So here is prayer that God will deliver me from the effects of the sins of others and the power of Satan and evil spirits in the world. So it's kind of, um, you know, this is part of our spiritual warfare. It's literally praying, you know, Lord, keep me, you know, keep me patched up from any bad effects that life is having on me. You know, sort of like when we sin ourselves, we need forgiveness. That's evil that has come from me. The answer for that is forgiveness. But also, I mean, I get kind of affected by the sin that surrounds me, in the same way that other people get badly affected by sin in me. And in effect, what we're praying here is, Lord, heal me all the time, constantly, of the effects of the evil that I find around me all the time. And, uh, you know, so so there's the the two aspects of, of sin there. Our own internal sin, and the sin that we encounter that is external to us. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's like uh, there, you know, we've you know, Lord, forgive us our sins and deliver us from our sins. I mean, there's plenty here to keep us going in prayer. I mean, everyone ought to be able to get, you know, 10 or 15 minutes out of this before too long, don't you think? You know, it should never be short of, oh, I can't think what to pray next. And uh, they're, they're then in, in in some translations, uh, you know, it, it, it hooks on the end there, you know, about the, you know, yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, and, and, and there you've just got praise. I mean, it started with praise, our Father in, in, in heaven, hallowed be your name, and it ends with, with praise and worship as well, because, I mean, from beginning to end, I mean, it's, it's of the Lord, everything is of him. Our, our whole Christian life is of him, it's grace from start to finish, and even our prayer life, it's all of him, the Holy Spirit, praying through us. And uh, then, then in verse 14 and 15, not part of the prayer, but something that Jesus says that, uh, you know, sort of like immediately afterwards, and it, it's the thing, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we've got a little bit more Greek to do here, because we get the word sin, alright? Now, the NIV got verse 12 right. It should have been debtors, not sin. It got that right, but the NIV has got this wrong. All right, this shouldn't be translated sin. Uh, it's not hamartia. All right, it's not the basic, fundamental Greek word for sin. All right, so it shouldn't be translated sin. Um, it's not ophelima, so it shouldn't be translated debts. The reason, uh, the the actual Greek word here is paraptoma, and the translation should be trespasses, all right, forgive trespasses, now let me explain why, paraptuma means a false step, it means a deviation from uprightness and truth, it means putting a foot wrong, and that is why it should be trespasses, because after all, what is trespasses except putting a foot wrong, if you're trespassing, You're putting a foot wrong. You're putting your foot somewhere it shouldn't be. Can you see the point? So to trespass is to to enter property where you're not allowed to be. It is putting a foot wrong. And of course the point is that here Jesus is, is, is speaking in regards to other people's sins against us, all right? And that we've got to forgive them. And... The reason that kind of, you know, sort of trespassing is tied up with sin here is that if I sin against you or if you sin against me, all right, um, then what we do, I mean, obviously all sin is against the Lord, so it does it to him, but if I sin against others, it does it to them. What is happening is that I'm, I'm invading and walking all over your rights. You see that? If I sin against you, I am invading... And walking all over your rights. Now, I mean, Paul says that we should, you know, be in debt to no man. That the only debt we ought to, you know, have to pay off to people is that we owe people the debt of love. Now, you, along with everyone else in this world, have the divine right to be treated by me in love. You have that divine right to be treated by me lovingly and respectfully. And exactly the same way, I have the divine right to be treated respectfully and lovingly by you. Now then, the point is, if I sin against you, which is the exact opposite of loving and respecting you, if I sin against you, I have invaded your right to be loved and respected by me, and I've walked all over it. I have trespassed on your rights. I have trespassed against you. Can you see the point? So then, therefore, if I sin against you, I have come onto your private property where you shouldn't have been invaded, and I have invaded you. Therefore, I have trespassed against you. So, obviously, I've got to ask God to forgive me when I've trespassed against him and others. But the point is... If I find you trespassing all over me, what have I got to do? I've got to forgive you. It's rather like that—that uh, you know, that older sort of like you know sort of joke, you know, it's come up in newspapers years ago when I was a kid. You know, it sort of like a monastery, and there was a big sign by the gate: "Trespassers will be forgiven," and that is literally what you've got here. Not "trespassers will be prosecuted," but "trespassers will be forgiven," and that is the attitude that we've got to have in regards to each other. So we've, we've seen here that there, there, there are three aspects of sin. There's missing the mark, there's there's owing the debt of confession, and there's this trespassing against each other. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look, you have got to make sure that you have completely forgiven everyone who has trespassed on your property, who have come into your life and abused you and sinned against you in any way. You must forgive them. And the condition for you being in fellowship with God and having your sins forgiven is that you have forgiven others their sins against you. And, of course, tying it up with one of the parables that Jesus told, the point is that we must forgive the fiver that other people owe us in the light of the million-pound debt that God has forgiven us. And you've got a situation, you know, where sort of like, you know, I mean, sort of, I mean... I owed a million pounds, and God has written the debt off, so there's no written off. Now, other people who owe me a fiver here and there, how can I go and shake them by the throat, demanding my fiver? I can't. It will be a denial of the debt that I have been forgiven myself. And so here, what we've got there is the connection between our relationship with God and other people. And that's important. Because in the context of here having a private prayer life, which is what Jesus is teaching on, in that context, believe you me, it is very easy to end up deceived in a very, very spiritual way. And to think that here you are going great guns and really building a prayer life and wow, isn't this fantastic? And yet you're forgetting to forgive other people. Or you're forgetting to say sorry to other people when you've sinned against them. And you're becoming, your relationship with God is becoming an ivory tower job, divorced from day-to-day life here. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, but, but of course, don't forget that your vertical relationship with God is only as good as your horizontal relationship with those who are around you. Because as I say, it's very easy to escape into prayer to avoid our responsibilities sometimes, and I mean, I know what it is to, uh, you know, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, you know, sort of like, have you ever, you know, busily repented of everything except what God is convicting you for? I've done that, you know, sort of, God's convicting me of something, and I'm desperately trying to get away from it, so suddenly I'm very prayerful, or whatever. So, I'm not saying don't be prayerful, but remember, this thing started off with Jesus, a warning against hypocrisy in prayer, all right? Prayer and building up an individual relationship with God, all right, must never take us away from the fact that we've got to remain right with people down here. If I'm not right with others, then I'm not right with God either. Now, what I just want to do by way of uh, tying up here is is, is to actually just quickly go through the the, the five types of prayer that you get in the Bible. There, There are five types of prayer. We'll have a quick look at each one of them. Now the first one is praise. That is the first aspect of prayer. Praise or worship. I think praise and worship, they're basically the same thing. And uh, praise, glorifying God for who He is. Um, acknowledging Him as God with all His attributes. That is what praise and worship is. Responding to God as God. and. Uh, In the verses we've looked at, this is where "Hallowed be Thy Name" comes into it. It starts with worship and um, praise. If you go to Psalm 148, and we'll just have a look at um, for each one of these types of prayer, we'll actually see it quite specifically. And uh, so, I mean, I I could have chosen any one of a a million verses for this, but Psalm 148. We'll just read from verse one. Just you gives you the basic point. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Now, you get the idea, and it just goes on. Praise, and praise, and praise. And why? Because He created us. Acknowledging that he is our God, and so that is where prayer begins praise, worship, hallowed be your name. Now, then, the second type of prayer is the prayer of thanksgiving. Now, now, sort of like often people get praise and thanksgiving mixed up, praise is kind of worshipping, it's praising the Lord for who he is. Thanksgiving is giving thanks to God for what he has done. Now, can you see the difference there? Praise is is worship, praising him for who and what he is. Thanksgiving is thanking him for what he has done. So, our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not going to the lake of fire. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to any of us was that we've been saved from the lake of fire, we're going to heaven, we're not going to lake of fire. It's thank, thanking him for our wives, thanking him for our husbands, our children, saying thank you Lord for my car, thank you Lord for my house, thank you Lord for loving me. I mean, it's, it's as wide as the ocean, it's as deep as the sea, isn't it? It's thanking God for all his blessings and mercies to us. And that uh, we ought to be people of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for the... you know, thank you that you did give me my daily bread today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And If you're having a job finding it, it's just before 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, and uh, verse 16, to 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Now that word, continually, means constantly. It, in the sense of on and off. Keep going. It's the word for a hacking cough in the Greek. It doesn't mean, you know, sort of like that you're doing it perpetually all the time. But if you've got a cough, it's, it's always there. It doesn't mean you're coughing every second of every day but that cough is a feature of your life on an intermittent but regular basis. And, and that's what the Greek word here. So, prayer should be going on in that kind of intermittent way all the time in our lives. And he says, "...and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." Now, it doesn't say thank God for all circumstances. Uh, there's a very popular false teaching some years ago, which, which can, If you praise and thank God for every situation, that will be the key to an abundant life. Um, now, it, 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 it talks about, um, you know, in all circumstances. You cannot thank God for everything that is going on in a sinful world. You cannot thank God for cancer. You cannot thank God for children being abused, obviously. But what it's saying is thank God in all circumstances. So it's talking about that whatever is happening to you, Be thankful for God's mercies, which are new every morning. Because at the end of the day, even if you felt that that life was so hard, that there was sort of like nothing else to thank him for, nothing can change the fact that you're going to heaven and not a lake of fire. But obviously there are always so many things to thank him for. So in all circumstances, there should never be a time when we're not thankful. You know, whether you're happy or sad, you should always be thankful. Every day, thanking the Lord for His love and His blessings and His mercy. And also here, I mean, you know, it answers a question, often we think, well, how do I know what God's will is? You know, this thing about God's will, I mean, I'm no good at guidance, alright? So how do I know what God's will is? Well, here's something. If you, if, if, even if you're completely lost in your Christian life and feel, like I just don't know which way to turn, You know, I mean, this guidance, I find this really difficult. I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, here's one thing that you do. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to give thanks in all circumstances. So, whatever it is you need to know God's will about that you don't, well, get on with this. Then you're being obedient to what you do know of God's will. And if you're obedient to what you do know of God's will, you've got a much better chance of hearing from the Lord what you don't know of his will. So, there you have it. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So there's thanksgiving. Now then, the third type of prayer that we have to pray we've already seen it is confession. Confession. Psalm 66 verse 18 If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So therefore we must confess our sins. Because we're confessing them to God, we're talking to Him, it's prayer. And 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, in the verses we've looked at, the so-called Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, alright? So confession, that is part of our prayer. Now then, fourthly, petition. The prayer of petition, or some people like to call it supplication, uh, basically, what it boils down to is, it's uh, this is, give us this day our daily bread, all right? Petition is when you're praying for what you need and what you want, all right? Now, give us this day our daily bread, all right? That is prayer for what we need, all right? That's guaranteed. But petition or supplication goes beyond that and we're quite free to pray for what we want. You're quite free to pray for luxuries. And you're you're quite free to pray for what you want because God is quite free to say no. Obviously. But often he says yes. But go to Philippians. Because it's good to know the freedom we have in Christ, isn't it, as they say. You're free to ask and he's free to say no. Philippians. There you are, the secret of a successful prayer life. Philippians chapter 4. And we'll start reading from verse 4 says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say it rejoice so there you've got the thanksgiving again so there's no getting away from that and um, he says let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near and he says do not be anxious about anything so, so we're going to see if you're worried about anything the answer to that is is, is to pray I mean, after all why, why pray when you can worry mm-hmm. and he says but in everything by prayer and petition. Now, to petition something is to ask. You know, I mean, you often know, get these groups, they take their petitions, don't they, to number 10 Downing Street. Oh, we've got 28 million signatures. All right, you know, we want income tax abolished. And So you get a, a petition and you take it up and you're saying, this is what we want. We're making our requests be made known. He says, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. There's that again. You see, you've got to keep the thanksgiving up, all right? It's no use saying, you know, Lord, I... You know, sort of like, I really, you know, I really do pray that you'll bless me with that hi-fi that I want, if you're not thanking him for the one you've got, or the one you used to have before it blew up, or whatever, whatever reason you're (laughs) praying for another one. You see the point? The thanksgiving has got to be there all the time. So, in everything, present with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then, lovely bit here, and the peace of God, which transcends... All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a verse we're really going to look into, you know, one day, or you know, but, but not here. But can you see the tie-up there with peace? Being at peace. And that's part of, you know, of what I was saying earlier. You know, to have a good, balanced, mature prayer life, you know, to be right with God in an ongoing basis. I mean, it's going to mean peace, as opposed to the anxiousness and the worrying. You know there's nothing to worry about absolutely nothing to worry about so there we've got petition it's praying for yourself and your own situation that's what petition is so whatever it is you know, I'll, you know it's oh Lord it's really difficult at work at the moment I pray you'll really help me with that or you know oh father there's there's this I'm really having a problem with this Lord really help me or you know oh Lord you know I think I need to change the car or or just whatever. Oh Lord, I'd love to go on holiday this year. You see, it's, it's it's things that you're praying that that relate to yourself and for your own situation. And you mustn't back off from doing that. God wants to hear. You mustn't think that you must never pray anything for yourself. You know, it's where this kind of false humility, the old martyr complex. Oh, i will oh, never pray for myself. I only got to pray for others. That's not. Oh, of course, you have got to pray for yourself. God is in relationship with you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to bless you, so that is part of it, so we've seen praise, thanksgiving confession, petition and then lastly intercession, now intercession is when you pray for others and when you pray for situations other than your own immediate one, now then intercession may include things that you're involved with I mean for instance if you were interceding if you were praying that God fulfill the vision that he's given us as a church now obviously you're involved with that but it's intercession rather than petition, because it's not purely down to you personally. you see the difference? So basically, intercession is when you're praying for others. All right. Uh, go to 1 Timothy. And uh, if you're having a job finding that, it's just before 2 Timothy. Okay. 1 Timothy, and find chapter 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. And um, we'll read the first two verses. Um, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Uh, that person you're having a job with at the moment, every now and then say thank you for them very hard to resent someone that you pray for every day. Is that impossible? So that, you know, it's a tip there, people you're not getting, you know, someone getting up your nose, pray for them. It's the equivalent of sneezing. (laughs) (laughs) Getting up your nose, oh, never mind. Um, So he says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness." Now, that's, that's as wide as you can get. He says, intercession for everyone. Yeah. So that's pretty... you should be... I mean, out of everyone, I reckon you could find one or two to pray for every day, do you reckon? You know, I mean what we're seeing here, there's no shortage of content, is there? But this is what intercession... this, last time, we saw the, the, the kind of, the, the prayer, the effective prayer of the righteous man, didn't we, in, in James chapter 5, you know, and an Elijah. And this is what it is. Elijah, that kind of prayer was intercession. And that's the fifth type of prayer. And it's praying for others in our own fellowship, obviously. So it includes praying for each other, praying for unbelievers, people who we know, who we want to see come to know the Lord, family, neighbours, whatever, people at work, our country, that's the importance of praying for kings and I don't quite, you know, I mean in this country when you pray for our Queen, you're not actually praying for the authority because obviously she's a rubber stamp. Still good to pray for her, but, but in effect, you've got to pray for the government, because in this country, uh, under a constitutional monarchy, the, the Queen only reigns, but on the basis of what others set. So she's, she's not the authority, so you've got to pray for the government as well. And oh boy, do the government need, need prayer? Um, you know, so, so you've got to do that, praying for our country, praying for other countries, particularly Israel. Well, at the moment, the things we hear going on in, in Rwanda, and that, and obviously you can't pray for every country, you can't, you know, pray for everyone every day, obviously. But, but can you see, that's what intercession is, praying God's will for other people, all right? So situations that don't, um, you know, sort of like uh, include yourself. And of course, the great danger there is that you spend yonks on, on petition, but not much time on intercession. I mean, make sure you spend more time interceding for others than you do praying for yourself. Um, In the sense that, obviously, you know, I mean, when it comes to confession of sins, take as much time as that takes. But what I'm talking about is that although it's right for you to be praying what you want, that's right and proper, the great danger is that you end up pretty good at that, you know, you've got your shopping list. You know, this is what I want for Christmas this year and every day, you know. And, and, and not praying for those around us. That's a danger. Remember, we've got to give more than we actually receive. So, so there, there are the five types of prayer. And believe me that <coughs> Satan hates all five. He hates all five. Now, the only one that he could really live with is that if you only ever did number four, that wouldn't be a problem. If all you ever did was ask God for what you wanted, that wouldn't be a problem to Satan, in fact, he'd love it. Because any Christian who only spoke to God about what they wanted, I mean, they haven't got prayer life, they're kidding themselves. But I'll tell you, that lot together, or any combination, anything above number four on its own, anything more than that, Satan hates it. And that is spiritual warfare. That lot together, Satan hates praise why is it that satan hates it when we praise the lord because we're praising the lord and not him he hates it he wants to be god and one day someone's going to have to tell him (laughs) it's like do you remember in the elections the um you know that natural law party with their they yogic flying, and, 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 and they had the party political broadcasts. And it was really funny, because on the news the next day, and it's not often that newscasters come out with wry comments, but one of them said that, don't you think someone ought to tell them that they're not flying? Because, <laughs> of course, they're bouncing, they call it yogic flying, you know, but they seem to think that they're flying. And in exactly the same way, some you know eventually, someone's going to have to say it to Satan, but <laughs> you're not God. See? He thinks he is, but he's not. So that's why he hates praise because we're not praising him. He hates Thanksgiving because we're not, you know, we're not thanking him. He hates it when we confess our sins because, you know, out fellowship Christians aren't a threat to him, but in fellowship Christians are a dreadful threat to him. He's, he's frightened of us. He hates us. What can he do about an in fellowship Christian? Absolutely nothing. Petition, as I say, he doesn't mind that in itself, if that's all you're into, but nevertheless, I mean, he doesn't want to see us blessed. Not if it's God blessing us. You know, I mean, you know, for instance, if if being blessed financially, you know, sort of like, if that was going to take us away from the Lord, then obviously Satan would love to see that. But, uh, you know, Satan doesn't like to see us, children of God, being blessed by our Father. He hates us, and he, he, he hates Father as well. And he hates intercession. You know, because then you're you're kind of like you know, you're you're bashing him over the head in regards to what he's doing in other people's lives. You know, it's rather like you're walking along the road and you see this bloke trying to break into a shop. So you make a citizen's arrest. He's not gonna like you. Well that's what that's what intercession is. It's making a citizen's arrest in regards to what Satan's doing in other situations, in other people's lives. So when you put that lot together, you have got spiritual warfare. You, you, you have got the power of God being released in our lives individually, and therefore corporately as a church. So, from that, as I say, um, you know, I mean, obviously, from last week, everyone should be, you know, sort of like on, a, you know, at least ten minutes a day, more or less. Let's not be slavish. There can be days that, you know, that that. You know that happen, and and a, a specific. Yeah, you know, I mean, I hope no one ever spends a day without praying at all. You know, even if it's in your head. You know, chatting to the Lord. You know, driving in the car on the way to work or something. But I mean, by now people should be starting to introduce a regular prayer time, more or less, most days. And uh, as I say, even if you're only on 10 minutes at the moment, can you see there's enough here. To quite reasonably start I- expanding it bit by bit. Don't try and take everything on all at once. But you know, but this is is what a prayer life is, and uh, and we we can't escape it. It's there, you know. It's 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 there. I mean, you know, it's no use living at the bottom of Mount Kilimanjaro and trying to pretend you haven't got a mountain in your back garden. It's there, and in the same way. No matter how hard we find it to pray, and it's not easy, you know what I mean? This just, just takes commitment, discipline, and dedication, all right? But nevertheless, we can't pretend that this isn't in the Bible, because it is. And we can't pretend that it isn't vitally important, because it is. We cannot hope to know the Lord in the way that we ought to without this. Neither can we hope to be peaceful, consistent mature, steadfast believers without this. It's there. And so, you know, it's something that we've really, you know, got to be taking on. And so, uh, you know, now, last week we saw how important it was to keep going, you know, keep going, don't give up on your prayers, just keep going on and on and on. And and today we've seen kind of like, you know, the, the types of thing that we ought to be praying and the importance of it being pretty regular and uh, ongoing things. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it there, and, and of course we'll start getting excited about the sort of stuff that we're going to start seeing when this is in place. Because, believe me, we cannot... If, if, if all of us in this fellowship got this in place, and were really growing in prayer, think how that would transform our corporate prayer as a, a, a church. And my goodness, the things that we'd start to see God doing. And I'm not saying that, you know, after a month that we're going to start seeing healings, or that, my goodness, it's one of the things that we're praying for. But the point is, it's going to be praying what's in heaven on earth. So that's that's got to be worth doing it, you know, doing. So we'll just make sure that we do. Okay, right, we'll finish now.